it felt like stuff was leaving our house. Hmm. Kind of weird feeling, like the presence of something was leaving. And, and stuff like that happened a few times. Whenever we had like an issue going on, you called her, you know, declared it in Jesus' name that his foot would be healed. About 15 minutes later, he came back over after the line started up and we were working. He's like, dude. What kind of advice would you give to somebody wanting to start off at any level of this process? I'll say some of the easier things to grow if you're just starting and our kids running around in the background doing cartwheels and farting while we're videoing. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff happens all the time. You never know what's going to happen when you post something on social media. And then I had a guy come in. He said, you need to take every piece of plaster out of this house. I ran into my corn trying to spook out whatever it was so I could just totally light it up. And I jumped in there. And when I, when I landed, I looked around with a flashlight all around me. Like I jumped into the middle of a whole family. Of oh, no. Hey, this is Matt with the Charting Life Podcast. Before we get into the show, I just want to make a quick announcement. I'm wanting to experiment and try something different. I've had some feedback, and I know the full-length podcast can be a bit too much for some. For the next few episodes, I will release segments of the episode on YouTube. Just search Charting Life Podcast like you would anywhere else you get your podcast. These will upload before the full episode is released, wherever you would normally get your podcast. So YouTube's going to have shorter segments, and the full podcast will be on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you like to get your podcast. I would love to know if this is something you like. You can always reach me at chartinglifepodcast at gmail.com. And I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the show and coming back for more. This show is something that has been on my heart and on my mind for some time, and I am thrilled to make this a reality. I hope this show encourages you, makes you laugh, and inspires you to chart your own island. Now back to the show. Some kind of issue about homesteading that, you know, a perception that people have about homesteading that that isn't true. And that, that one, I was like, yeah, I, I could totally. You got some stuff. <laughs> and, and the house renovation. Yeah. House renovation. <laughs> and I know you've got some cool church stories, prayer meetings from grandma, all that sort of thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So if you, if, do you think you have one or two you'd be willing to share? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, some of those were, uh, were pretty cool. Uh, my Aunt Ada, you know, she was, you know, the spiritual mom. Mm-hmm. She, she was like, you know, she cleaned the church, but she also babysit us when we were young. And even when we were, you know, I was like, you know, five years old, she would be, she would have people constantly coming over her house just to pray with. I mean, her door was just open to anyone. And, you know, she would have Jehovah's Witnesses come and knock on her door and she would listen to everything they had to say. And then she would be like, okay, now let me talk to you guys. And they were, you know, fighting to get out of that. She, they were trying to get away from her. You know, everybody was always like, "Oh no, here comes Jehovah's Witnesses. Let's close the door." But yeah, she, she would pray with people, and you know, I had like a you know bucket of toys over there, and we'd be playing playing with toys, and she would be in a in a prayer closet, or she would have people over praying, and I mean, it was full blown speaking in tongues like spiritual warfare you know the fire from heaven was coming down and i'm over there playing with gi joes in the corner (laughs) and it just became like you know normal it wasn't a big deal where you know 
other, you know, if I had a friend over, he would be scared to death because right. he's like, uh, you know, a demon just ran out of the house. <laughs> but, but that was just, you know, that was how she was. And she would come over our house and she called it like clean your house. Like my mom and dad were, were having marriage trouble. And I was a kid. I didn't really know what was going on. And I, you know, I, I was just, I, when I was a kid, I was a kid. I, I didn't pay attention to a lot of adult stuff. And that's it's good and bad. You right. know, I didn't know what was going on, but and I enjoyed my childhood a lot because I was playing. But she would come over and pray over every room in our house. And, I mean, I kind of knew stuff was going on, but I didn't know the details of it. I was just too young to understand. And I remember she told us to stand by the door and hold the door open. And she propped the door open, the storm door open, and she pled the pr- pleaded the blood of Jesus through every room in our house. And I could literally feel like, and I thought, you know, oh, it's just a draft, like the wind blowing through the house. But it was like it was, there was nothing. And then it would be like a, like, I, I don't know, maybe as a kid, but it, it felt like stuff was leaving our house. Wow. There was like a, a lighting, you know, the, the house got lighter. Hmm. Kind of weird feeling like the presence of something was leaving. And, and stuff like that happened a few times. You know, we would, we would, whenever we had like an issue going on, you called her like, you know, hey, somebody was in a car wreck, call Aunt Ada. She, she's going to pray. Stephanie had a, uh, we had a, a homie. I mean, it's just fun. Some of it's funny stuff. You know, God, God doesn't care what's big and little. Right. Uh, he's every, everything and everybody. You know, he's just there. And Stephanie had caught a hummingbird in her garage at her at her home, where where she you know with her parents. And she's always been like an animal person. It's just this is important to her. She just isn't gonna leave the door open and mm-hmm. let the hummingbird fly out. She's going to rescue this animal. So of course I'm there, so I have to be involved. And I, I had a fishing net. So I'm running around inside the garage, and the way the birds, they just will not go out the big open door. Right. They go above it, around it. And um, we finally, she had the net, and she she hit this bird accidentally and totally just, I mean, it was, like, dead. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was so bad. It oh, was like she felt horrible. Oh, she was crying. It was bad. And the first thing she said was, get the phone and call your Aunt Ada. And it was just funny because I was like, okay, you know, you, you just killed this bird. <laughs> like, I'm going to call her and be like. But my Aunt Ada didn't care. As to her, she understood, and she immediately started praying over the phone to Stephanie. And that bird woke up and flew out of her hand. And wow. Stephanie was, like, so happy. Like, that was one of these, like, God moments for her. Because, yeah. I mean, when she hit that bird, it crunched like Oof. it was like yeah and it was just you know that's something that she's still like she'll talk about that like she's like hey you know this bird <laughs> came back oh, man. <laughs> but you know there there was a time when i was at work and i had a buddy who uh and you know this isn't i didn't do this this was mm-hmm. all a god thing it was all set up and this guy was always complaining about his leg and he was my team leader he's older than me and he had this bad, bad foot problem where he just couldn't – he was limping all the time. And um, he was a Christian. His dad was a pastor. and But I'm not sure what denomination or anything. I didn't know, you know, how, what, what they believed in. Right. 
and he was limping by me. He was trying to like he was wanting to run in the Derby Marathon thing, and he was always complaining about it. And he'd come and talk to me about it, and I was like, man, you know, it was before work started. I was like, dude, let's just let's just pray over your foot, like right now, like, and. At, at that moment in time, you know, there's there's moments in your life when you're just full of faith and like you're like there is nothing that God can't do. You know, it, it you're, it's a high point in your spiritual walk. And I was a hundred percent like, you know, God's gonna heal your foot today. I'm just tired of you like complaining right. about right. it. And oh, and he put his foot up on my table next to my job, and I just prayed for his foot, and I said, you gotta believe this. And you got to agree with me on this because I I, ain't, I can't heal your foot, but I believe God can. Right. And we both prayed, and people were walking by, and we didn't care. And literally we prayed, and we just did a little simple prayer of, like, you know, Jesus heal his foot. I mean, I'm I'm not going to, like, you know, you know, do anything crazy, like, you know, dance in a circle around it or, like, you know, use all these big crazy words <laughs> that no one understands. I just, you know, declared it in Jesus' name that his foot would be healed. And he agreed. About 15 minutes later, he came back over after the line started up and we were working. He's like, dude, my foot isn't hurting anymore. And I asked him for, you know, even now if I see him, I'll be like, how's your foot doing? And he just smiles. He's like, man, my foot ain't ever been better. It's never it's never bothered me since. So those were kind of neat little miracle God moments where, you know, God did stuff. And there's a bunch of them like that, you know, where you just those little personal you know, one-on-one, God knows your situation. God knows what you're dealing with. And he comes down sometimes and just reminds us to say, hey, um, I don't know, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll share about Sam too. Uh, we had the, uh, years ago we had a prayer meeting. We had already had our first son, Isaac, and <clears throat> we had kind of, Stephanie had the game plan that all young families do you know we'll have one kid in two years three years we'll space it out we'll have the second kid right you know we had everything all planned out like we'll live in our house for five years and then we'll move up to the bigger house and you know you you sit down there and you have all these these crazy little dreams that you you think you have it all worked out and it had been about two and a half three years and we went to a uh, a prayer meeting with a uh, a woman at the church we were going to she was like she was like my aunt ada there she was like the armor bearer of the church and she was having these prayer meetings. So, you know, she invited us to come. You know, those are always weird. Like, if you don't know people real well, it's like, I'm really going to jump out here and, and go to the prayer meeting. And, and and we went, and it was great. You know, there was, like, a little message. And then there was, like, a, a, a prophecy over me and Stephanie about having another baby. And Stephanie had already, you know, she had already said she wanted another baby. And... It, she was basically like, get ready, because you got an, another baby coming. You got a child coming. So we were excited. You know, we went home. We're like, what, well, you know, what is this, you know? Like whenever you hear any kind of prophecy like that, you question whether right. or not. It's, it's always good to test it and see. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know, I mean, you can just tell anybody, hey, you're getting ready to have a kid. And it's, and she said something real particular. It was kind of interesting. Like she, she said it would be in God's way. And I, I didn't understand that at the time. She was like, it's going to happen in God's way. And it it was kind of like, okay, whatever. I don't know what that means, but I'm cool with it. You know, whatever God's way is, I'm, I'm cool with it. And a lot of times we don't, we don't realize what God, it means more than what we, uh, than what we think it does. So 
a year went by and two years went by and we still hadn't had another baby and we we went to we got invited like the church we were at kind of we left there was stuff happening and we went we were looking for a church and we got invited to this kind of sounds weird it was a church in a basement hmm. of someone's house in a neighborhood and it was an all black church too which was you know it you know it it's something that you normally wouldn't you know you just don't think about like it's not a big deal but i was like hey okay we're, we kind of stand out here we're gonna we're gonna look a little different right right so we just had an address and when we showed up in this cul-de-sac and i'm like well this is the house you know it just looks like a house in the subdivision or whatever we go inside and there's a little dude in there and he's playing video games and i'm like hey man what's up he's like hey you all come here for church i was like yeah he's like gets in the basement and <laughs> he's you know he's playing pac-man or you know mario i don't know what it was but it was funny so we go down there, and, and there's 30-some people down there, and they have it set up really nice. And, you know, we were just kind of, you know, you're a little bit nervous because I'm used to going to a normal, normal, you know, sanctuary with big, tall ceiling. You know, if you raised your hands, you hit, <laughs> you hit the ceiling right, in there. It's right, just, yeah, totally different environment. Yeah, right? it yeah, totally threw us off. But it was like I felt like we were supposed to be there. And immediately, the you know, while we were there, it was great worship, great, uh, great pastor there. And, um, he, he like called me out and he's like, Hey, I want to, I want to pray with you. And, and he talked to me about my job and some job stuff that was going on that, you know, it was definitely, uh, on Mark. I was like, man, you know, you, you are, you know, God's reading my mail, obviously. And I thanked him, but we were leaving and when we were leaving, there was an old black lady that came and talked and grabbed Stephanie's hand, and she she was super sweet lady, and she said, "Are you pregnant?" And Stephanie immediately started to cry because this has been an issue, and um, she she was she was like, "No," she's like, "Are you wanting to get pregnant?" And Stephanie was like, "Yeah, you know, we're, we're trying. We kind of shared our story a little bit." She said, "Well, God told me." that he has a promise for you and it's still there. It's still there. So this is a total stranger, you know, that we didn't know comes up and talks about a, a prophetic word we had heard like a couple years before. So it was just kind of like God's still there. And, you know, we thought we had, you know, we'd done something wrong or, you know, we messed up and the prophecy, you know, God's prophecy isn't going to be fulfilled because we, we didn't do what we were supposed to do. You know, we didn't move to the right house or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh when you get inside your own head, it can really, and God's timing is different than ours too. Right. Right. We think, you know, it's taken so long. What is it? You know, and you know, again, it was, it was about a six year difference, I think. Yeah. And, and it, the same thing happened again. Like we, um, we went to the doctors to get checked out to make sure that everything was working properly. Cause we thought we, we were doing something wrong. And, you know, Stephanie went through all kinds of crazy tests. We, um, we went and t- my insurance actually covered like three attempts for fertility. Oh wow, that's I don't think yeah. that's common. No, it wasn't. I had great insurance, and it's it. So we had done it once, and you know we were really concerned about that because there's different options with fertility treatment, and some of them are are kind of questionable, and we weren't comfortable with, you know, some of them that we could end up with like six kids, and then we have to like pick which one, one you're keeping. Which one you're keeping, and yeah, that's got to be a, a 
that was like wouldn't, I don't envy anyone who would yeah. find themselves in that situation. Right. It just what we weren't we weren't comfortable with making that kind of decision, and um, we we went with the um, I forget what it's called. It was stressful. I know that. Right. It was uh, implantation. I don't know something okay. like that. Yeah. But um, we did it twice, and and both times it failed. And we went to Stephanie's worked at a church um, where she did accounting, and she became really good friends with her boss. And he started up a church, and he invited us. It was over in Indiana, so just out of nowhere, we were like, "Let's go visit." She just woke up one morning, and said, "This is where we're going." And we were late because we had to go across the bridge and everything. We, and it was in a like it was kind of a, a neat setup they had there. It was a it used to be a gym like a and it had two floors. So you, the sanctuary was upstairs, and it had this real big open staircase. So we were trying to sneak in, and we were, like, coming up the steps. And then at the top was their, their sanctuary where all the chairs were, and we were trying to slide in. <laughs> he's in the middle of preaching, and he stops. And he's like, I had a dream last night that my old friend was going to come to church today, and she just walked in the back. Wow. And we were already like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, like, it's kind of cool, but you show up late, and now yeah. the spotlight's on you. Yeah, we were yeah. totally, totally, he's like, I have a word for you all at the end of service. I mean, he kind of, so everyone in the whole sanctuary turned and was, like, looking at us. You know, you're trying to, like, uh, trying to hide and sneak in. So at the end of service, they had a prayer altar call, and he, he motioned us up there. And he told us, he said, he, he would, it was, they, I can't remember exactly. There was a woman there too that was like his armor bearer. That was she prayed for us, mm-hmm. and they both were praying for us at the same time in agreement. And they they said, "We don't know what your promise is, but it's getting ready to happen. God gave you a promise, and it's getting ready to happen." So <clears throat> let me see if I can kind of make sure we got to there. So um, you've had your first child, Isaac, and then. It's been six, seven years. It's been several years at this point. Yeah. And you've had this word from God, this prophecy that there's a promise that's coming. Right. And, you know, it's going to happen in God's way, God's time, and you try to make it work. You try to do, you know, right. what would be what you think is your side of the equation. Right. And right. Uh, everything's just falling through. It's not working. But I, I think it's interesting you said that the, when you said it hit your promise because right. that's what was said to you earlier. Right. Um, yeah. You know, years before, and then now you're... You know, you're showing up at this church a little bit late, got the spotlight shined on you. Right. And then afterwards, you know, the pastor is, is basically giving you a word that from God that um, that you're about to receive your promise. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah, that was it. And at that exact time, we were doing the fertility stuff. And we got a letter in the mail saying that our insurance had changed and that they were no longer using the fertility company that we were using. Wow. And they dropped it. And they were like, you don't have any... You, you don't have that last attempt is gone. Because we all, you know, it was like three. We got three. Mm-hmm. And then it was two. It was like, well, we still got one more. And then before we could even try to do that one, it was taken away from us. So Stephanie went like, uh, I'd say like in a depression just because, you know, she felt like she'd, she had went through so many of these little procedures and stuff to try and, and make things work because she thought her body was broken in some way. Right, yeah. And after that she just she just gave it to god is what she did and we both did and then we we both just said this is in god's hands and literally 
our church was changing here at the time. They were having, we had a new pastor coming in, and we had a, an old pastor like had left, and there was all kinds of crazy with that. But at that moment, it was like we released all of our, and that's when I realized that it was in God's way. It was going to happen in God's ways, not our, not man's ways. And that mm-hmm. was kind of what it was said, not man's ways, but God's way. And that was in like June, maybe May, and then in June she had a pregnancy test come back. And we had spent probably a thousand dollars on pregnancy test, <laughs> and and that that one came back as, you know, she was pregnant, and we were super excited, but at the same time we were we were really scared and nervous. So we didn't we waited for a while before we told anybody, and. Sure enough, you know, then we, we had, uh, I was laid off from my job for a year. I was on unemployment and they asked me to, uh, to go to Chicago and work for a year. And I really don't have a choice because I'm like, I'm on Cobra insurance and my wife's pregnant. So I'm going to go wherever you tell me to go so that I have insurance to pay for, you know, I I can't afford to to pay for this. And... So I went to Chicago, and and while I was up in Chicago for you know it, that uh, February of the next year is when Sam was born. So it was kind of neat because yeah. you know it's a great testimony. It's great to to it's it's neat when I hear it. You know, like we went through all that. I walked through it, all the highs and lows of you know where there was a lot of stuff I'm not even bringing up just because it was it was bad stuff that you know it was hard and tough to get through and uh and stephanie went through a lot you know finding out you know just trying to think that something was wrong with her but you know god god moved and we have uh we have samuel and and then hannah came after that and she was a complete surprise that was just (laughs) we thought that you know okay we have two we won't be able to have any more kids because that was like and we weren't even trying and you know boom something she's like something's wrong i gotta go and then here comes hannah so well that's funny you know and it's interesting in your story there that we would love it sometimes if god were to move or something were to uh, break or something great were to happen when you're already experiencing something good like it's one good thing after another and sure that happens to some people sometimes but it seems like more often than not especially when we're talking about uh, God intervening or some kind of type of God involvement more often than not, it seems like when you come to the end of yourself, um, you don't even know how to get there. You don't even know the path to get there. You know, we think we do, we try, you know, sometimes, but you know, when you get kind of to the end of yourself, you've exhausted your resources and there at the end, there's God waiting for you, you know? And so on some time, some, one hand, that's kind of nice. Cause it's, you know, God's there ahead of time waiting for you is it, it can feel that way, but also it's stressful and can hurt. And right. you go through the, 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 the journey there, getting there, that can be pretty rough. So, and speaking of journeys, I know you're doing this grain-free homesteading. It's been for over a year now, hasn't it been? Uh, we're at two years. Two years. That we've been on social media and YouTube. Yeah. And I think uh, I saw one that was pretty interesting. There was a post you guys did. It was a picture of the butter. I think it was ants flocking to like three different types of butter. And one of them, I think was like a, a vegan butter. And, uh, why do you tell us what happened to that? Cause I think, uh, you got some people not happy with you and then yeah. you kind of trolled a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was kind of, you never know what's going to happen when you post something on social media. You, you'll have a post and you'll be like, 
man, this one's going to take off. Everyone's going to love this post and it's funny and it's a great, you know, dad joke. And then like, it won't do anything. And then you'll just find a, a random one and you'll be like, I think, you know, this is something that the people that I'm targeting, you know, homesteading and farming and, you know, one of the major things that that reasons why most people do it is because there's, you know, they're the quality of food and what's real food and what's fake food. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, it was just a simple picture of a bar, like a, a, a slice of margarine and a slice of like fat free margarine and then a slice of butter. And someone had just set it on the ground and there was a million ants on the regular butter on the natural, you know, just the, the milk butter, the cow butter, whatever you want to call it. And then there was nothing. And the ants that had even got close to the margarine and the light margarine were dead. They were like, you know, stuck in it. Oh, and I, they mean, were, I missed that part of the picture. Wow. Yeah, they were they were dead. And it was just kind of a, a, a picture. It wasn't a whole lot to it. It was just a picture, you know. I didn't take the picture. I just thought it was really interesting because, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of what I call real food or natural food, and I'm not a big fan of stuff that runs through a factory and is made with chemicals and everything. So that was kind of my point of even posting it. Um, I do have a lot of uh, people who follow my page because they are, you know, super environmentalist or extreme uh, – like PETA kind of people who animal rights and they, okay, gotcha, yeah. and, and they, they would look at that as, you know, I'm enslaving a cow for milk to make butter versus an alternative of margarine. Right. <clears throat> and they, those, those two groups of people, they get really defensive. It's like, you know, if they, if they oh, don't, yeah, they, they don't want, want to eat butter. That's fine. Don't mm-hmm. eat, eat margarine. I don't yeah. care. But then they, 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 they seek you out. They find you, yeah. and, and they don't they don't like me a whole lot. And obviously, I would do the obligatory. It's not every vegan or whatever, right, right, right. But they do kind of um, they do kind of embrace it with a religious fervor, exactly. And um, and I owe to Fisher in a second, but there was a point where my wife and I tried doing the vegan diet. It started off as we wanted a diet. She had a friend who was vegan, and it was right around the time that my wife was kind of in an emotional um, uneasy area, and so her friend really kind of twisted the screws and like, okay, we'll do vegan. And right. we did it for a while. It was about a year or two and lost weight. Things were going good. And um, it was actually at a time where you couldn't hardly find any good yeah, no vegan alternatives. alternatives. Um, you have like chicken, but it says it's like C-H-I-C-K apostrophe N. Yeah. You know, it's not actually chicken. And that always bugged me. Like, don't call it chicken right. if it's not. But anyways, the one part that I realized, we were starting to get to the point where it was almost that religious aspect was sleeping into our lives. We, we didn't want that at all. We just wanted the diet. And, you know, obviously you don't want to be like, you know, make, you know, be uncaring, you know, towards, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to like, Hey, we're going to, you know, you know, be horrible. But at that point, you know, it got to that point where I'm like, Nope, we're done. I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger now right. and <laughs> we're going to end it. But anyways, you, you made this post, right? right? And it, it got the like, vegans were a little upset. Yeah, they were upset. And you know, you're, you're right about that. Like the homesteading, what I'm involved in can become the same way. Mm-hmm. We can be like, you know, you're eating fake food and randomly just attack people. And I, I've caught myself, you know, in, in religions is the same, you know, can be like that. You can, you can get so immersed in something that you immediately get disgusted by someone who's not agreeing with you or not following what you think is, is right. I, 
and I, I'd catch myself sometimes yeah. falling into that trap. I mean, it just happens naturally. And, and uh, there's been a few times where I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm just done. Like I got to quit right. or I'm going, I'm going to turn this into something I don't want it to be. And we're all, I guess this is part of being human is just, you know, defending your position. And sometimes you accidentally attack someone that doesn't agree with you. And you can do it real sly of hand too, if you're not careful. Like it's Oh yeah, a, we are, when it comes to <clears throat> justifying our behavior, right? you could take somebody who has maybe a lower intelligence, but each person individually we're really, really good at justifying our own right, behavior. Yeah, exactly. And the the it's it's hard for me, like I don't mind if someone's vegan or if someone is trying to save the environment. I think those are I mean, I don't like killing animals. I don't want to animals to suffer. But I do also understand that part of the way I live requires I mean it, you you have to some of the vegans who think that they they, everything they do doesn't harm an animal. It's like just just existing alone, you're killing animals. The shoes yes. you wear, the the plastic in your phone cover and case, the you know whatever it is, there's animal parts been used in your clothing. It's everywhere. It's it's part of the way our economy works. Is they use every resource we have, and a lot of those resources are byproducts of animals. Whether whether we like it or not, yeah. it's just going to happen. So. It's, it's hard to argue <laughs> with. Right. But you, and you mentioned, you know, as far as our economy works, because I want to kind of get to the, the fun punchline of this okay. this story here. You know, when it comes to social media and stuff, you get, you know, especially if you are a like an official page, yeah. you can be able to get income, and you really don't make no. – you, you can't make a living off of it unless you're just doing amazing. Like, you know, yeah. it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of followers to – to make substantial money, right. but if you're good at it, what you guys have done, you've built up a nice little following here. Yeah, um, and I think I'm impressed with what you guys have done in the time frame. And it, um, you know, it, every once in a while you'll do a post that will yeah, get it, you know, it'll get you a little bit. So why don't you finish? You know, tell us what happened with the rest of that post. Yeah, that post ended up. The sad thing about social media is you can have something really good and positive that should explode and go everywhere, and it just won't. But if you have something that causes division and argument where people want to take sides, I didn't really post anything much, uh, maybe a couple, a few people because they wanted to, uh, you know, attack me. But most of the people that were on that post that started fighting, it, it created a two camp. It created a division between the butter people and the margarine people. I thought it was hilarious in some ways because it's like I could have put a stick on there and, and people were fighting. And it went up to like thirty three thousand reactions. Oh my goodness! I didn't know it was that. that yeah, still, that's that's incredible. It was thirty three thousand reactions. Um, and right now, on that during the time of that, Facebook had contacted me, and they were like, "We have a bonus time opened up to where if your post gets so many react, you know, you'll get paid a little bit of money." And I think like the most I had any kind of money off of a meme or a picture was like eight nine bucks which is awesome yeah absolutely but when that one hit it hit really hard and the people were were going back and forth there was arguing going on about you know you eat fake food and you kill animals and you you're destroying the planet and all your future children and it was all the regular arguments but when it hit 33 i, I will it kind of shows you how each of your posts are performing 
And it went up to like $130 off of one post, which was amazing. And that, and I, that kind of showed me like, this is why people post so much stuff, like negative stuff, because it causes a division and it causes people to react and fight. And when you have a reaction and people get emotional, then they make more money off of all the reactions and all the the mm-hmm. uh, the interactions that people are making with your post. Yeah. So and it, it caught me off guard because I would have never thought that my my biggest meme post that made me the most money was uh, butter. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's your bread and butter, I guess. Yeah, it's my bread and butter. Um, um, it was pretty. I mean, and, and you gotta kind of look at it like. To me, it was funny, but there was a lot of people that got really emotional about it. Like, I, I don't know why. I mean, it's butter. But right. but there were people who were going to die on that hill. And luckily, with Facebook, things get, the longer it's there, it slowly just kind of phases and fizzes out. But there was a, probably a good solid week where I was trying to keep that post under where people weren't fighting each other. Yeah, I imagine, you know, that hundred something dollars you you earned, you put a lot of work into keeping that the comments section from people yeah. just really yeah. trying to uh go too nasty at each other. Right. Know, that's one thing to disagree and disagree heartily, but when people start getting nasty at one another, yeah, that's where things start getting bad. So, so would you imagine like what is probably in running the social media channel, we'll get to the like the actual meat of the homesteading in a little bit, but um what is something that maybe you didn't realize going into it um, that they maybe it was one of the uns, like uh, the um, unplanned challenges that sort of thing. Like what what kind of goes into running a social media page? Because then you have YouTube, Facebook. I don't know if you anything beyond that, but what um, so what kind of what kind of goes into that that you don't if you're not running a page you that you might uh, miss might not realize. So um, when we started doing it, it was really easy to video it. It was really easy. We we like teaching people stuff. We like helping people, and you know, we were we would show people, hey, this is how you plant this, and this is when, and this is you know when you harvest it. This is what, this is how it should turn out. Whatever. That's that was all easy. Um, Stephanie is, you know, she's the brains behind a lot of our stuff, and she does the editing and finding editing software and finding you know you. The, the stuff you want to use and you want it to be easy, but you want it to be able to, to do a lot of things. And we still, I mean, we're two years into this and we just now tried a new uh, editing software because she was spending like three hours uh, or more on just like little glitches and stuff. We got to the point where we just didn't care a lot too. We would just, <laughs> you know, you can watch our video and there's some stuff in there and you're like, yeah, they should have edited that out. And it's like, you know what? We're just putting a video out to, to help people. And it may not be the best quality right now, but it's a, it's a video that can help people. And it's not, it's not perfect. We're not perfect people. Um, we're not, you know, we've dealt with perfectionism and that's one of those things that we've really tried to, to let go. So, uh, people will also pick on you, like really bad they'll attack you they'll attack your family they'll attack your your kids you know people talk about the way we look the way we talk um <laughs> i and one of the videos i kind of made a joke and it ended up being one of our biggest youtube videos um it was a, we bought a a, a cow uh, from a farmer and we were you know we were just trying to help people on the process of 
you know, when you buy a whole cow, this is this is the process you go through. And that's what I, w- I kept saying, whole, I would say whole beef. Mm-hmm. And when I would say whole, I, see, I would, ju- I would just kind of set it a little bit. Because my kids make fun of me because of the my accent a little bit. Oh, just, yeah. And they think it's hilarious. So it was kind of a joke for them because I was like whole beef. And I, I probably said it. I was saying it on purpose, and then I caught myself saying it just naturally. And I bet there was 200 comments under that about me saying the word whole beef. Like, what is that? They didn't know what it meant. They didn't know what the word whole was. <laughs> they were just like, are you talking about a cow? You know, I mean, it was – they were just totally making fun of me. And there's been videos we've done where people make fun of my kids, and that kind of aggravates me. Yeah, you don't – and when people start attacking you or you're – you know, they start attacking your wife – because they think, you know, it doesn't bother me when people make fun of me. It, in some ways, I get a lot of laughter out of it. You know, I, some people are pretty funny and creative themselves. So if you can make fun of me then, and make me laugh, then I look, I, it's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something that I think even today is kind of missed is the idea of uh, being able to laugh at yourself. And, you know, if someone's going to make a comment you or make a, a joke about you, my thought, generally speaking, if it's for me, it's different if it's your wife or kids, obviously, like you mentioned. But if it's for me, it's like at least make it original. Make yeah. me, make, like try to make me laugh with it, right, you know. Right. But, I mean, if you're just being hateful, you know. But, right. but there is something special about being able to take what somebody's using, intending for, you know, you know wrong or evil or, you know, something to, to hurt you, you know, and being able to turn that for some humor. But and I'm curious, you know, a lot of people have different – ideas when they are doing something online, especially when they have a family um, and kids and stuff. Um, so did you talk with your wife about, are we going to have our kids in the background of the video? We're going to like, what, what, what did that conversation, you know, look like? Or did, uh, cause I know like your son, Sam, he photo bombs all the time. And even here yeah. like at church and stuff, he, uh, <laughs> man, he, uh, he has his way of just getting into everything. Yeah. But uh, I was just kind of curious, like, has that, um, have you guys like thought about that as it brought a little, Concern, stress, or is, how, how do they feel about it? Um, there was no keeping Sam out of the camera. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. We talked about it. Um, we never thought that our our channel would do much of anything. It was more for us and our kids and our friends and family. And somehow it, it it's gotten – I mean, it's not a huge, huge channel, but it's gotten bigger than we ever thought it would. Right. Um. And you know, there's there's videos that we made when we thought it there wasn't going to be much traffic on it that now have gotten more traffic, and it has been a concern about you know our privacy and our kids' privacy. But um, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's like we we kind of show who we are. We don't we don't hide too much. You know, we are who we are. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna candy coat it and make it look like we're the perfect family because we're not and our kids running around in the background doing cartwheels and making noises and farting while we're videoing (laughs) (laughs) that stuff happens all the time and stephanie you know she tries to edit some of it out but i'm just like you know there's no point and we're family and this is this is real family stuff everybody who's watching these videos can totally relate to this and will probably laugh about it yes i uh I agree. I've seen some of your videos too. Yeah, yeah there's definitely some some bits where you really, yeah, you relate to that to just the real life aspect of it. Yeah, we are cautious though about certain. You know, we don't want people to know where our kids go to school. We don't want it to. There's certain like I'm not a big fan of people knowing where my house is because you never know who's watching your videos. 
and you have to you have to have some guard. It's no, there's you have no you would have no wisdom if you weren't protecting your family and just totally putting your kids out there. Right. Our videos are not normally about our kids in any way, but I mean sometimes they'll our kids are helping us build stuff, or they're they're working in the background, or they're just playing or whatever. But um, our videos are not focused on our kids. They're just part of our family, and I don't want to put our kids out there like they're they're the star of the show and that I I don't want people really uh I mean I think it's great if somebody sees my kids and they're like hey your kids are awesome and they're doing they make me laugh in the background you know that doesn't bother me but I don't I don't want people sending my kids fan mail uh right I don't I don't want you know my their kids let, let them be kids um and and that's just we're cautious and there's some things that we do edit out because you know they'll have a shirt on with their school name on it. Right, right. You got to be, you know, yeah. cautious on that. And that's good that you're taking precautions. Yeah, my oldest, uh, oldest son, he he does not want to be in any of the videos. He, you know, it's more about being cool for him, and he doesn't want his friends to see him in the back. And there's been a few of them where he's he's still in the background, like he couldn't get out of it no matter what. And he just doesn't like all the attention, or he doesn't want people to know that you know, or or we have a YouTube channel because then his friends would all find it and embarrass him. (laughs) So that's, and that is funny with their different personalities. So you you can't keep Sam out of the camera and then, uh, you know, Isaac doesn't want to be, uh, doesn't want to be in there if at all, if you can help it. What's made you kind of inspired you to start the channel and then what are you hoping to achieve, especially now that you have more following than just friends and family, what started you down that path? So we, um, Really what got us started in gardening and stuff, it started, you know, 20-some years ago. And Stephanie's grandparents were big gardeners, and they did a lot of stuff. And, you know, when you're in your 20s, you you don't really pay a lot of attention to that. That's just an old old people hobby. You know, it's old people doing old people stuff. At least that's, that's <laughs> right. how it was, you know, back in, in the early, you know, late 1990s, early 2000s. I didn't pay much attention to grandparents what they were up to I was just trying to have fun and enjoy my life and get my my home life started and and one day you know it was just me and Stephanie we hadn't had any kids yet we stopped at one of these little side these little guys on the side of the road that uh that sell corn and I and I got some corn from this guy and I don't even it was like you know uh cotton candy or something like that I can't remember what kind it was but after eating that it like it revolutionized the way I was looking at food. Like I was so used to, like my family just were just, you know, they were just making it. And, you know, I didn't like a lot of food. I was super picky because they just got some basic stuff that most people got and I didn't like it, mm-hmm. you know? And after eating that corn, I was like, I want to grow my own corn because that was a thousand times better than anything I ever had at the grocery store. And, that got me in starting a garden in a little bitty small backyard. I was growing corn, <laughs> like just, little, yeah. you know, 50 little ears of corn. And, of course, the first year I did it, it failed miserably. And the second year I did it, it got a little better, but still was. And then, like, I got worms, and I finally got, like, some good corn, like the third year. And I opened it up, and it was full of worms. So then I'm calling Stephanie's grandpa because I'm like, this dude's a gardener. I'm going to figure out what's going on. And he's like of course he hit all the tricks you know he's like put a little bit of uh castor oil or some kind of you know vegetable oil 
I put put a paper bag over it to keep raccoons out of it. He had all these old, you know, this old timers kind of tricks on. And this was like I was speaking his language. Me and him were just suddenly like, I'll teach you. You know, he was like, I'll teach you how to grow some corn. And we just started gardening after that, and it just kept growing every year. You know, we started doing strawberries. We started doing okra and just, you know, our whole backyard was just a garden. And we had, you know, the dog was like, didn't have nowhere to run right. <laughs> because it was a garden back there. Yeah. I got to say, I, there's one of uh, one story that I love it and I use it, you know, get as youth pastor here. I've used it several times as a illustration. Um, but there was a point where your dog got into one of the vegetables yeah. and got, um, ate, so you didn't know what it was, but he pooped in the yard. Yeah. And was you just, pumpkin. yeah, you waited a, you know, however long it was, yeah. a few weeks or whatever, and then you could see that he ate a pumpkin seed, and that sprouted where he <laughs> yes. defecated. Yes, it was funny. Yeah, we just let it grow too. It was his pumpkin. The, so he got into a, a, a pump, like one of the old pumpkins that we had, and he ate it. And then we had pumpkins growing in the middle of the yard. It was pretty funny, and they and they grew into big, nice, pretty pumpkins. And I'm like, that's. <laughs> That's his pumpkins, you know. That's those yeah. are for him. He grew them. Yeah. He grew them. <laughs> yeah, that's like a good uh, unexpected win there. Yeah, yeah. But so Stephanie's grandparents, like they, they finally, you know, got too old to even garden. And really, when we were, we had become really good at gardening at that point. I'm, you know, we had been doing it for 15, 16 years, or I don't even know. But we were, we had more than we knew what to do with, and we were growing it. I mean, I we just had learned what to do right and it we were growing a lot of vegetables and when you start that's this it starts off like whatever you get into it usually starts off with it start off with like corn next thing you know we're we have cucumbers strawberries apples and we just have tons and tons of all this produce that's all coming in and so then it's like well what do you do with it you got to start preserving it and you just it starts this domino effect of you know, uh, I've now I got apple butter and jams and pickles that I'm making, and we were we were just doing all this stuff, and but we were also working our regular jobs, and when COVID hit, you know, everybody the the whole world just kind of stopped, and a lot of people, you know, we just were we didn't know what to do, so I was um, I was still working at my dad's nursery because that place didn't you know for some reason it was okay to right for outside places to be open but uh stephanie was still like she was teaching the kids she was trying to do the nti we were all trying to figure that out but she was watching youtube videos and she just stumbled across some of these channels that were doing what we do and it was really it was really inspiring because we were learning a lot from these people because I would come home from work. She's like, you got to see what, you know, (laughs) what they're doing with chickens here and how easy it is to build this coop. And, and that's, that was about three years ago that we, we really started, I started like building stuff and going beyond just a backyard hobby garden to now we have chickens and it kind of avalanches too. It's one of those things where once you start doing chickens, it's just like, now you have eggs and while you already have chickens you might as well process them because and then you'll have your own meat and you just keep going it just keeps growing to you know now we want a dairy cow (laughs) you know we want pigs now you know we're we're still got 
more stuff in the works that we're just planning on doing. And I think our goal, like when we started doing it, it was just, it was more, like it has always just been kind of like a documentary for our family and our kids. But it's also to help our friends and family or anyone who is interested in gardening and homesteading and canning and processing their their own stuff and and somehow it's created a little bit of a side hustle small income coming in and it, so it's that's great i mean i'm i'm not going to complain if i could, if you can make money i would rather make money doing that something that i really enjoy than working in a factory yeah absolutely yeah no, i'm definitely not cut out for factory work the repetition that just i know some people can do it some people can't and i'm certainly on the can't side of that <laughs> um yeah so the um if you've not checked out any other videos i definitely recommend uh checking out grain free homestead and we'll at the end we'll get all the the details but one of the things that's interesting is the house that you guys have and i think like you mentioned you're doing like a docu this is almost kind of serves as a documentary for your family and in a way that certainly can kind of leave a legacy for your your kids and grandkids and on down the line um similar to how the house that you guys have now is part of a legacy of stephanie's family right? right right and so if you watch a lot of the videos they you know you see a lot of the progress you guys are renovating this house um, why don't you give like a brief little update of like what's going on and then is there any other behind the scenes type of stuff that maybe you've not revealed on the um, on your channel that like any other like updates that sort of stuff so we uh, Stephanie's grand grandma uh, her, her grandpa passed away right right before COVID hit and his his family had lived like I'm trying to think how far back we we went and looked at the records of the house it was built in well we we weren't able to go any further back than 1890 because it was all chicken scratch and it was <laughs> really really hard to tell what people had had written in in like the boundary lines of the property because they were like there's a rock and a pine tree and that was their marker at the time which you know made sense back then but now it's it's to the point that it's hard to tell how far back beyond that mm-hmm. it went so we 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 dated it back to 1890 and that, um, I'm trying to think of who, it was, I think his name was William Crumbacker, and it went to his, the house just stayed in their family for years. And and when, you know, they somebody wasn't able to have any kids, they would leave it to a niece or a nephew, or, and usually stayed in the So that, that family was pretty big back in the area we live in, and it, uh, it ended up going to Stephanie's great-grandma, and then her son uh, JD uh, bought it, and then when uh, JD passed away, his wife lived there until she passed away, which was Josephine. Those are both Stephanie's grandparents, JD and Josephine. And then it, it uh, Stephanie's mom inherited it, and they weren't able to keep it. They, it was just at that point, you know, the house is a hundred and almost fifty years old, and it needed a lot of work. So they were gonna they tried to sell it, and it just and we were at the same time thinking about, you know, we're over there with a huge garden and chickens and we need more property. And she, Stephanie kind of, she grew up real close to that house and it's always been like the center of her family. All the, you know, every Easter, they had a huge Easter egg hunt there. And she had a lot of uh, emotional attachment to the house and it was a it was a big deal and it would be, you know, it would be horrible for her and a lot of her family to see that house, you know, just get tore down and a, and a new subdivision put up. Right. So 
we were able to uh, to to get the house, and we have started. Well, it was funny is you know we did kind of like a walkthrough inspection and everything on what the house was going to be like, what what we could afford to do, and and what needed to be done to make the house work for us. There was stuff that we could have just left, but you know, a, a family of five with one bathroom isn't isn't oh, no. going to work, yeah. and having a no bathroom on the on the second floor wasn't going to work so we had to figure out you know and then we noticed that you know some of the walls had cracks in them that was all plaster so we were like we're and I you know I I have I had no idea how to do a lot of this stuff and so I called in friends family people who do this stuff professionally and just asked for you know what do I need to do and you know, I, my plan was to take down one or two walls that had cracks in them that were real bad because, the, you know, I talked to a guy. He's like, we can patch this, but it's crack, and it's going to just keep coming back. He said, so he recommended, you know, taking it down. So then I was like, okay, we'll take down two or three walls. But just And then I had a guy come in. He said, you need to take every piece of plaster out of this house. And I just – there was all these, like, my plan and, you know, how much it's going to cost and then the reality of what really needed to be done. So it was it was just always like these big overwhelming things would hit with the house. It is a uh, we also had to move like we sold our house and we had to move all our stuff and we didn't have nowhere really to put it because the house needed renovating. So we just shoved everything in boxes and and put it in garages and just space that we could find. And then we tried we were all in one room. There was like a little Stephanie's great grandpa lived there when he needed like medical help and they uh, they created like a little uh mother-in-law suite kind of thing i guess like it was okay yeah he's gonna have the extra little yeah he had his own little apartment on there so we spent like that was our kitchen that was where uh isaac slept and then we had the, the sam and hannah in the uh living room with us so we had to get the living room set up and then start renovating i do not recommend doing that ever it was. I mean, everyone tells us you're gonna love this when it's done, but we're a we're a year into this now, and it is super super stressful and super hard on our family. But at the same time, you know, it it's worth doing for us. It's it was it's totally you know we love it and we hate it at the same time, and uh, we're, you know we've had to deal with stuff that just normal normal homes don't nor aren't aren't used to dealing with you know you if you want to go eat in the winter time you have to go out of the house down to the apartment where the you know where the little tiny kitchen okay, is yeah, yeah. If you're, just you're, just the logistics of yeah. of living in it you know if if you needed to take a shower there's only one shower and we were used we were used to having multiple bathrooms with all these kids and you know you have trying to take a shower and you have kids banging on the door you you lose almost all your privacy <laughs> <There's> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it 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 was uh it's been a struggle but it's also been a great reward you know we tearing out walls we found like old marbles that were in the floors and it's nice. like this is cool because this is like probably one of stephanie's great grandpa's was playing with marbles when he was a kid and they rode underneath the floor joist, you know, underneath, you know, behind the wall. We found so many snake skins it is snakes that, you know, old farmhouses. I didn't, and this, I learned a lot, you know, I didn't realize how many snakes 
old farmhouses are surrounded by fields. And when yeah. it gets cold, all the mice run to the farmhouse to stay warm. So a lot of farmers are very happy to have, you know, rat snakes, just black snakes on their property, in their barns, all around. Right. Some of the non-venomous ones, preferably. Y- yeah, you, you don't. Yeah, not too you, invasive. Right. Well, and the guys went up into the attic and they were like, I've never seen so many snake skins in my life. And he pulled out like 12 or 15 snake skins. They were all big. And we're just kind of like, oh, I guess that's from a long time ago. You know, that's, you know, that's probably old. That's the hope. <laughs> and then that's every wall, literally every wall we took out, every ceiling we took out, there was snake skin in it. Mm-mm. And it was everywhere. And then we we started finding uh, some snakes, you know, outside, which I'm not, it doesn't bother me. I'm okay with it. It was kind of weird having them like in your walls, in your house. I don't wouldn't want that, but being outside around the house or you know in the crawl spaces and stuff, that's it's just when they get in, into your. Her grandma had said something before that there was a snake that had came out of the uh, one of the walls, like a hole in the wall, and nobody believed her. And I'm like, she wasn't lying. I know <laughs> yeah. because I've seen all the snake skins. We actually found a, a snake that had like in the little cellar that that holds some of the you know under the house. And that's just where they they chill out. I mean, that's for the winter time they hibernate under there. That doesn't bother me, but a lot of people probably uh, wouldn't wouldn't. One of the things that you, you know, oh, I'm going to get this old farmhouse and fix it up. Yeah, you're going to have to deal with a lot of stuff. You don't, you know, there's there's termites, there's snakes, there's. It's not all the pretty picture you see a lot of times when people, you know, you have a show where they're like, we're taking this old home and renovating it into this amazing, you know, modern farmhouse and. They don't show you all the uh, the dirty details of what what was behind the walls. Yeah, that man. That's honestly that almost sounds like a great like sitcom. Yeah, like you know, just your whole situation. You know, you got yeah, your your is. home setting thing. You're doing your social media. You go into this house. You realize there's so much more. You find out that the grandma's not crazy because the snake really did probably come out of the wall. Yeah, uh, man. That's like yeah. If if, uh, if somehow some way someone gets a hold of this, like yeah, that's they made, a, they made a movie. Yeah. Tom Hanks made a movie called Money Pit where he bought bought this old house and it literally was everything was breaking and falling apart and it it does kind of remind me of our house <laughs> you know it's the we love it at the same time because it's got so much family history and I love old things the windows the doors the doorknobs they you know the woodwork in the house you you can't you can't buy that stuff anymore some there were, you know some guy went in there and notched out literally thousands of little pieces of wood to get the woodwork trim it wasn't done in a factory with a machine that just pops it out like every half second yeah this guy went in there with a little chisel and just and worked all day on this so the time and energy put into it is just it's a we really appreciate it yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially when you get into, you know, handmade or hand done. Yeah. So, I mean, it's nice to have the um, the supply of, you know, mass produce, that sort of stuff. But it is – the quality is, is definitely right. Yeah, the quality better. is amazing. Um, so, what – like, so is there, like, a myth about homesteading or gardening, that that's stuff that you guys are, are um, doing? Is there a myth about that that you think you could probably uh, debunk and kind of help bring some clarity to? Yeah, the um – when we were watching YouTube videos, we saw a lot of, I don't know, I'd, you see all the, and, and a lot of people do this just on Facebook and normally, you see all the highlights, you see all this 
amazing stuff. You know, you see like, this is what I want. You know, you see a cabin and there's a pool and a waterfall next to it. And, and you, you don't see the hard work that goes into it. You don't see like, so with, with gardening, you know, I'll grow a 30 pound watermelon and I'll take a picture of it and post it on Facebook. And I'll, and it's, you know, Sam holding a 30 pound watermelon mm-hmm. and everyone is like, this is amazing. How did you do it? I want to do that. Well, it took me 10 years to be able to figure out what kind of watermelon that I, you know, and, and how to get it growing right. Even now, you know, 10 of those watermelons failed and 10 of them didn't. And there's a lot of failure. No one, you know, we try and do it a lot, but you know, people don't like seeing that kind of stuff too. They want to see, you know, the 10 bushels of tomatoes that you just picked. They don't want to see the diseased, the ones that have bugs on them and the ones that are gross and rotten. And there's a lot of that that goes on. You know, you go and pick tomatoes, you're going to you're gonna get a lot of them that are rotten and your hand's going to go through. There's going to be squirrels that chewed hose in them and they're gross and you're just going to throw them in the compost pile. The compost pile is something that people don't like to show because it's rotting decaying material turning back into dirt it's it's dead animals and and poop (laughs) you know right and people people don't see that the eggs that you get have chicken poop on them and they don't like to see that they want to see you know the blue and the green and the white and brown pretty eggs and that's what you see is you see this myth of this beautiful bowl full of eggs that you know somebody just picked out of you know just got out of the coop and it's like, there's no way those eggs are covered in poop. You had to wash your hands. You have poop on your shoes. You have poop uh, poop everywhere. It's it's everywhere. It's not a clean. And you see these farmhouses where they're, there's no laundry. There's no, everything is just picture perfect. And it's a, it's a fantasy of a lot of people, you know, they do it with everything. And they do it with homesteading. And they make you think that, hey, your life will be perfect. And you'll love it. You'll sit around and drink coffee all day and your eggs are just, you know, everything will be perfect. You know, it's, and that's, there's a, a fantasy. And I think that, you know, Stephanie even got caught up in that for a while where, you know, she thought it was all going to, it's going to be this, you know, sitting on the porch, drinking coffee and enjoying my cow moo off in the distance. And, you know, but you got to get up every morning and you got to feed all the animals and you got to take care of it. And in the wintertime when it's negative seven, you still got to feed the animals and the work. And then you got water that's frozen and you got to figure out how to get water. That's not frozen or that won't blow up a water line. You're going to spend hours of when it was, it, we got some cold temperatures here a few weeks ago and we literally just to keep our chickens alive, had to like fortify their coop and bring in more straw and, you know, just set up a, it it was a lot more work. We had to get buckets of hot water from inside and carry them outside and bust out ice. And we broke one of the doors on the coop trying to even get it open because it was covered in ice. There's all this work that you don't see people doing. You just see the highlight reel. So understanding that, that this isn't going to be super easy, that, that myth of everything's perfect. It's, it's, it's work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> and I would, I'll let you answer, but I, I'm assuming that because you guys are still doing this so many years later and keep expanding, even with all the work, you say it's probably, you think it's worth it? It, it really depends on the type of person you are. Um, if you are someone who appreciates, 
you know, a fresh egg. If you are a person who appreciates a steak that came from a cow that you know what it was eating and the quality of that meat. Or, you know, you can go buy a tomato that was grown in a greenhouse at the grocery store. And it's the taste of it is going to be different than what I get in August on my tomato vines. So if it doesn't bother you to to eat, you know, different, you know, just a, I consider it a lower quality food. I'm not trying to, to I mean, it's just, it's a factory mm-hmm. processed, you know, get it out there as quick as you can. It looks good. And if, if that's okay with you, then I wouldn't even suggest doing homesteading. But if you go and you try some sweet corn and you notice that it's a lot different from what the quality of the taste is, is so much better than what you would get at a grocery store, then yeah, start, uh, start looking into what else do you have that could, the quality could be better. It's more about, I mean, it's going to cost more. It's going to cost more time. You, you appreciate more expensive food whenever mm-hmm. you grow it. Like, you know, people pay like 99 cents or a dollar, you know, dollar, two dollars for a dozen eggs at the grocery store. And, and then they'll go to a farmer's market and they'll have a dozen eggs for four bucks. And they're like, you know, I can go to the grocery store and get the same thing. It's like, well, you're not really getting the same thing. Mm-hmm. The quality is a lot different. You know, there's factories that have egg, like chickens in cages, and they give them hormones and feed them certain kinds of feed, and it's a certain breed of chicken. And all it does is just it doesn't move. It's just in a cage dropping eggs. It's like a machine, and that's that's what it is, whereas – my chickens, you know, I go out there, I've, I, they are, you know, I've, and they, they have a better quality of life, and they have beautiful eggs. When you crack open an egg from a grocery store, it is like a light yellow, and it's usually kind of, you don't even notice it until you compare it next to a farm-raised egg. And when you see the difference in the quality and you taste the difference, I mean, some people say they can't taste the difference, but just knowing that it's, to me, it's more of a real egg. It's a more of a natural process versus just somebody with an industrial machine producing as many eggs as quick as they can to make a profit versus someone who is growing chickens in their backyard and the chickens are eating grass and bugs and they're, they're free-ranging and their, their chickens got a, a better quality egg. And it's the same with almost anything else in homesteading, any, anything like that. It's, yeah. it's better quality. Yeah, so quality definitely is good. And then again, what you're what you're eating, you know, there's lots of uh yeah. you know, people talking about, you know, what the stuff that's in your food and all sort of stuff and you have a lot more certainty yeah. when you're growing it yourself. Um well, let me ask you probably the last question on the home setting is if somebody wanted to start off, maybe maybe it's just a garden, um, maybe they're starting mm-hmm. small, um, what kind of advice would you give them? Maybe what's something that's easy to plant or like what stuff that is maybe not common knowledge like what what kind of advice would you give to somebody wanting to start off at any level of this process so the first thing is is you're you're going to fail you're going to have some major failures and you're going to grow a tomato plant and it's not going to grow and it's not going to produce tomatoes and you're going to be disheartened by it and you're going to be like well I'm I can't grow anything all you have to do is just educate yourself dig into it whatever it is you want to grow 
and learn as much as you can. Watch YouTube videos, get books on it. And when you get to where you, and that's what happened with me with corn. I just got infatuated with growing a good quality corn when I was, when I was growing it. And it, it just, I learned as much as I could from Stephanie's grandpa from, and that's when I first even, you know, YouTube was just coming out as some kind of thing and you were just learning little tricks and it's, it's just to keep going. If you just keep going, it's when you give up, you just got to keep pushing forward and keep learning. I mean, if you just keep doing the same thing, you keep getting the same results. It's insanity. So you mm-hmm. just you just keep pushing forward and trying new tricks. Even now, I mean, I can one year I'll grow something to do really well, and the next year I'll do all the same things, but the weather is different, or the soil is different, or something has changed slightly. You know, we get twice as much rain, and it will affect it. And I'm still learning, you know, how you know. And when I try, always trying different varieties, you know, there's a million different varieties of uh, of of different plants so whatever you're growing you know um i'll say some of the easier things to grow if you're just starting um t- tomatoes are always the, the one of the first things i say you grow tomatoes tomatoes are hard to kill you can actually cut a, it's a vine you can cut a stem or limb off of a tomato and replant it and it will start growing another tomato plant it'll just clone itself wow so it it, you know, if, if one of the limbs gets in the ground, it will grow roots from that limb touching the ground. So they're very, very, and uh, sweet potatoes are another one that are very easy to grow. They do like a lot of, they like to eat a lot. So you got to have good soil for them. But pepper plants, just some of the basic stuff. Um, and you can just expand each year or, or try a few, you know, cucumbers, all those. You start to get in, you know, every every plant has an enemy every plant has a disease and you can try and you know you might be able to get a variety that's you know like it's not susceptible to this certain kind of disease but it's going to have another there's there's a there's a yin to every yang you know yeah. there's there's they always have an enemy that's trying to trying to steal your and and then you get some things like corn that has everything on the earth is trying to take your <laughs> corn from, from raccoons to crows to worms and diseases and viruses it, it literally that's why I, I actually quit growing corn because it was too hard it mm-hmm. was it wasn't worth the time and the ever I could grow corn, but the day before I picked it, there was skunks and raccoons stealing everything I had. I literally, I'll tell you a funny story real quick. Um, I was losing corn every night, and I was a hundred percent sure it was um, it was raccoons. And I had I had grown multiple like you know usually when you grow corn you, you usually grow a, a few rows of it, and then a two weeks later you plant another two rows so that you got like a a constant flow of corn coming okay. in. And I just, I, every night I was losing a little bit and I had my, uh, my handgun. I was going to kill whatever it was. I was going to kill these raccoons. Cause I was, you know, you put so much time, you're, <laughs> you've waited 90 days or a hundred days for this corn and you babied it all the way from, you know, from seed all the way up to where it's six, eight foot tall and you got your corn stalks and you're checking it and it's almost ready and you're super excited and you're like, I'm going to have all this corn. And then you go out there and something eats it all, like in one night. And I knew I knew that that night, you can always tell when corn's almost ready. It needs like one more day. And I knew 
it was happening. I knew there was something out there eating my corn. I got my gun and my flashlight. I mean, I was totally like John Wick going out there ready to kill (laughs) whatever it was. I totally was surprised, though. I ran into my corn and, like, trying to spook out whatever it was so I could just totally light it up. You know, I was I was going to unload the whole clip into this thing. <laughs> and I jumped in there, and when I when I landed, I looked around with a flashlight, and there was literally six skunks in there all around me. Like, I jumped into the middle of them. Oh, no. And I, I was probably three or four foot away from a whole family of skunks. And it was actually the night before Hannah's birthday party. We were having a birthday party the next day. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm totally getting sprayed. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you do not shoot skunks because they automatically will spray. And if you scare them, I don't know how I didn't get sprayed that night because I literally jumped in them, like trying to like, you know, scare all yeah. them. Yeah. I was like, you know, Mr. Kool-Aid busting through the wall. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I just froze. And they they don't like light, so I hit them with the flashlight, and they and I took a few steps back, real really slow. And at that moment, I gave up on corn because I knew that there was no way I could win. It was it was a lose lose. Either I'm losing my corn, or I'm getting sprayed with skunk spray, and I'll smell forever. You know, it'd be six months, and you know, and then gets in the house, and somehow I made it out that night without a skunk spraying me. But it it was the the moment that I quit growing. <laughs> that was the last year. <laughs> oh, right. Well, you know, at least now you know, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So let me ask you a, a series of questions. We'll try to ask uh, everybody that we interview. Um, and this is kind of an, a growing list, but I think these are some good questions. Uh, so again, with the idea of charting life, it the idea is maybe looking at life through a lens of you there is a newly discovered island no one's been there before you are tasked to go to this island and explore it make a map of it kind of chart the highs the lows the danger areas um the place where you can grow corn or wherever whatever else you want to grow yeah. uh, all that sort of stuff and uh, so you're asked to go and you can bring five along five people along with you a couple of stipulations one person needs to be an explorer or survivalist of some sort uh, a second person has to be an author or storyteller. Could be any kind of storyteller you like. And then three others. Who are you bringing with you? Uh, the first one would be my wife. Um, Bear Gorillas would be my survival guy. Okay, yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg would be uh, my storyteller. And then two others. Um, probably uh, Chuck Norris. <laughs> Just <laughs> well, because yeah, he's... Might as well, yeah. Yeah, might as well. And... Um, Let's see. Someone else on the server. Hmm. Anybody living or dead? Living or dead. Somebody somebody that could learn a lot from be trapped on an island with. I'm trying to think of something kind of good here, you know, coming up with a, a good person. Um, I'd say my mom. Okay. My mom. Yeah. That's a good answer. Now, keeping with the theme of the island. Um, you don't know how long you're going to be there, so you get to bring one crop, some seeds, whatever it is to take, fruit, vegetable, that sort of thing. One thing that's going to sustain you, and you're going to be able to plant and have that continue to grow. What is the one uh, crop you're bringing with you, and why is it not corn? <laughs> yeah, definitely not <laughs> yeah, what, what, what crop is it? Uh, sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. And why, why is that? Sweet potatoes are pretty much self-sustaining. You can get 
one sweet potato and it will just grow and grow and grow. And then any of the little vines you can take off and grow another sweet potato. And it, it, it's got everything you need. And, you know, you can live off of sweet potatoes. Yeah. Hey, good point. Um, so if you could spend the next year of your life focusing on one area uh, to improve, what would that be? Uh, that would probably be my spiritual walk. My, you know, just focusing more on God and putting myself aside, you know, putting my own wants and needs aside and just spending more quality time with God and studying his word and trying to get in his will. Yeah. Um, these are going to be rapid ish fire. Uh, so when was the last time you laughed hard or maybe laughed till it hurt? Uh, probably a week ago whenever Sam said something extremely funny. Uh, he, he is the comedian in our house and there's been, you know, he likes to watch a lot of, uh, YouTube videos of people falling on their face and the fell fell army. He loves the, uh, the crazy stuff like that. And, and he has, uh, a special ability to say things very witty and very funny that will make you cry laughing every time. Yeah. I, I can agree. He, he is hilarious. Um, there's a funny thing. So I'm, I'm, in seminary, so one of my classes was basically on how to preach and teach like publicly, how you're communicating. And for one of them, I had to do a video recording of me teaching a lesson. And so I did that and I had, um, you know, of course I'm interacting with the kids and stuff. And so Sam, um, was sharing some story that was relevant to the thing. And he had my professor laughing. He was having a hard time, you know, keeping notes. You could see the little video of him reacting to it. It was like, he was enjoying it too. So Sam's definitely got that special knack to, uh, um, bring out the, the humor in people. We, we, we probably helped to, I don't know if we helped or hurt him, but he loved the movie cars <laughs> and his favorite character was Tow Mater. <laughs> and he literally, pick that up in his in the way he talks and he un- I, can, I can see that makes sense now yeah. he he watched that movie probably three or four times a day and it literally changed the way he talked <laughs> well yeah because uh, my wife and i we, we were we've noticed that of all of you guys sam's accent is that makes sense i'm much more like tomater and uh you know your other kids you know i mean you don't always recognize the accent that you have. And I'm sure my accent's coming out here and yours as well, that if, you know, for whoever's listening beyond the uh, Kentucky area, they're going to, they're going to know, you know, uh, (laughs) um, you know, recognize it. But Sam is really like, you can really tell it. It's just the way he talks is, is hilarious. Uh, Yeah. He's definitely country countryfied. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So when was the last time you cried? Uh, Probably at my grandma's funeral. When my grandma passed away, that was uh, that was pretty tough. Yeah, it's especially when I was younger, I would, um, you know, you go to funerals, you lose somebody. It's your great grandma, it's you know your great aunt, that sort of thing, and because they're getting older and it's sad, and you know you kind of feel for your you know your other family who is really sad. But um, when you start losing people that are closer to you that you've, you have personally spent time with, yeah. that definitely hits um, hits pretty hard. Um, what is something that's inspired you recently? inspired me recently you know the kids in the youth group have really inspired me um I've, I've noticed that you know they've been they've been growing a lot spiritually and they're doing things that uh, when I was their age I would have n- never been able to do I would have just locked up and froze up mm-hmm. and been like you know nope I'm not doing that and they are 
they're taking it with strides. I mean, and then some of them have really grown and it's just been inspiring to see, you know, see somebody just totally expose themselves in song or dance or getting up in front and speaking or reading. And it's just amazing to me that they're, they're, you know, usually when you're a teenager and you're at that awkward stage, you just are like, nope, I'm not. And you have to like beg someone and they're still like, it's just not going to happen. I'm Mm -hmm. not, I'm not participating. And to see these kids really there, you know, you ask them, Hey, will you read a scripture out of the Bible or will you do an announcement or will you sing a song? And they're all like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what, you know, I really want to bless the church or the people around me or I'll public speak. That was a big one for me when I was young. It's like, I, I'm in it, here. I am doing this. It's funny, mm-hmm. but I did not want to speak publicly. I I wanted to be in the you know I wanted to be in the background. I can I can help control the music board in the back or somewhere in the shadows. I don't want to be out in front and center. So it's really inspiring to see these kids now really wanting to be a part of the church and really participate. Yeah, I agree. Um, when was the last time you truly felt alive? Um, I have to think about this one for a second. I really, I really feel alive when I am like, I have this big mountain in front of me, like, like the renovation of the house. You know, I would, um, you kind of get complacent and when you get complacent and you're not doing much, you know, you come home, you're tired, you watch TV and you kind of get in this almost like a death spin where you're your life just becomes monotonous and you're not you're not really doing a whole lot you're not moving forward and you're not going backward really you're just alive and part of doing this homesteading stuff you know i i i watched a couple videos and got inspired to build a chicken tractor and you know there was things that i i couldn't i didn't i didn't know what to do and didn't know how to do it and then to be able to watch someone else do it and get inspired to do it and then and build it and accomplish something and it be really successful that that was that's just a great feeling to be able to to achieve a goal and that's what you know I'd say that's when I feel really alive whenever you know Stephanie has a dream and then I and it, you know there's been times when I have to pay somebody to help fix something or build something but when I can do it myself I really feel alive then. That's when it's like, hey, we need meat. Let's go. Let's go deer hunting. I'm gonna. I'm gonna kill this deer. Clean this deer. Process this deer. Bring it home. Pack it and put it in the freezer. And then there's a lot of pride and joy in. This wasn't. You know, I could have just went and bought some steaks, but instead, right. I I did this. So that's that's when I feel in the wild. You know, you you're in the wild and you're just. You're, that's when I feel most alive. Whenever I accomplish one of these things, one of these goals, you know, and that's how this house is. It's like I'm a comp. It's it's hard. It's not easy at all. And that's what makes it, I think, better. When something's hard and you have to fight for it, and sometimes you fail at it, but when you succeed, that that's when I feel alive. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I think it feels the same way. And that almost kind of ties into what you're saying. The 
the fantasy that people have that everything's like nice clean cut and everything and you know sometimes we think about vacation or rest as this like they want the the eternal retirement or vacation and it's yeah. like well you know you still have to still have to work still have to put you know effort into something and and it is easy to get into that spiral yeah. when uh you're you know just trying to when all you want to do is rest you yeah. know um what is it to you what does it mean to be a good man and like so we might come across this phrase especially like at a funeral you know so and so you know here lies you know john doe he was a good man uh what what comes to your mind when you hear that somebody is a good man i mean the first thing i think of is someone who's dependable and faithful and and loving you know it's if you're if you're loving you know if if your car breaks down and you call this, you know, whoever this guy is, he's dependable, he's he's caring, and he, lo- he loves you enough to come and help you. So he's a good man because he's faithful, faithful to in all aspects of life. Yeah. I, again, I think that's a great answer. I think it's good. Um, our last question here, um, what is one last piece of advice that you would give to your family? Maybe if we're doing our scenario here, we're on the island, you don't think you're going to make it, you, you know, you, you – write a letter, send it off, that sort of thing, um, beyond just goodbye and, you know, the well wishes and stuff. What's one piece of advice you would give to your family um, as a last piece of advice? Uh, to, to always seek God and to grow, to always be moving forward, and to forget your trust, the, the things that hurt you and things that where people have done, where they've discouraged you, the setbacks, you forget those, and you stay focused on, on God and moving forward on your goals and and your relationships all right well uh derek it has been an absolute pleasure uh having uh, this conversation with you um if you want to know more about uh whatever, they, whatever they're doing if you want to know more about the the homesteading and all the the tips and going along with that journey with them um i'll let him share everything with grain free homestead but where can they find you and uh any ways to contact you or follow you uh we I spend a lot of time on Facebook. Um, I do make a lot of memes and share a lot of memes. I try and make people laugh. If you go to uh, Grain Free Homestead on just search Grain Free Homestead, um, you will find us on Facebook, on um, YouTube. We we have a lot of kind of educational videos. Or if you're just curious about our family and what, what we do, why we're why we're called Grain Free Homestead, um, all that kind of stuff is going to be on. I think we, we have an Instagram account, but I'm not on there a whole lot. We have a Twitter account, and I, I don't post a whole lot on there. I'm, I just You can only handle so much social media. So the main two that I am on is uh, Facebook and YouTube. And you just search Grain Free Homestead. We don't have a – there ain't a whole lot of people. We usually – you know, you type in Grain Free, you'll get dog food. Right, <laughs> right, Grain right, Free right, dog yeah. food. But, yeah, just type in Grain Free Homestead, and, uh, and you'll find us and, – and it's not too hard. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. And I can certainly attest to the memes. Uh, they are they are very funny. <laughs> so even if you just uh, want, want to be there for the memes, yeah. uh, you'll definitely find them there. So anything you want uh, regarding with whatever they're looking for, Grain Free Homestead, is definitely something you want to check out. So we're signing off. Uh, hopefully you guys have a great day, and we'll see you next time.